20 years ago when I would work and when I would talk about especially feminist artists, I remember people telling me that that era, that 10 years between 1970 to 1980 was uh, passé, that it was over, that we shouldn't talk about it anymore. I used to say to people, why are you still talking about Michelangelo and Duchamp then? Uh, this is the constant thing that people try to do with with feminism and feminist artists kind of quash it or something or, or get it out of circulation again. But now it's gaining traction. This is AI Murmurings, a podcast exploring intersections of contemporary art and artificial intelligence. I'm Carolyn Strauss, Director of Slow Research Lab, a multidisciplinary research and curatorial platform based in the Netherlands. Conversations here exploring slow approaches to creative thinking and practice aim to awaken latent potentials for AI that are murmuring just under the surface. The podcast is produced in partnership with the Australian Institute for Machine Learning and Sia Furler Institute both at the University of Adelaide in South Australia. It's part of a first-of-its-kind artistic research program called Art Intelligence. Today, I am very pleased to be in the company of Sans Marie Vassink, an artist based in Amsterdam. Thank you for joining me today on the podcast, Sense. Sure. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's our first meeting. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's very exciting. Yeah. 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 yeah, we're documenting our first meeting. Actually. Yeah, I like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, it's good. So it feels almost absurd somehow to try to define you in words, but you do have this official bio that's circulating right now that calls you a painter, a body artist, a writer, and perfume collector. Yeah. Is is there anything else you'd like to add today? Uh, no, that, that <laughs> usually, um, when I say uh, like body artist encompasses... Um, encompasses performance and writing I think I think I connect those uh, somehow and I like mm. to use body artists because it um it says something that I don't think is really you know with this kind of dematerialization into the internet and into the screen um I like to emphasize that the body is still physical that we haven't yeah. lost that yeah. Um, so it's it's very important for me to, I mean, when I use it, people say that sounds very seventies or something or very sixties, but um, I don't know why that's a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, let me start by saying that I really appreciate your coming on a podcast that's pondering artificial intelligences. <laughs> I mean, however loosely it is that I do it. Um, because, you know, and it's because, as I explained to you, and when I first reached out to you, um, because I think the field has something important to learn from your practice, from your honest and open and generous and generative art life practice, as you call it, mm -hmm. and also more broadly from these propositions and provocations of intersectional feminist and queer 
arts and culture that run through it. Right. So um, rather than posing direct questions to you about AI, um, instead, with this conversation, I want to invite the listeners to immerse themselves in your presence, in your ways of practicing art life, and um, and as they do so, to kind of cast their imaginations into the realm of emerging technologies. So okay. to consider what would our lives be like if the technologies, these technologies that are increasingly saturating our lives, were structured differently, right? More yeah. openly, yeah. more horizontally. Yeah. Um, what if they were infused with joy and abundance and messiness and yeah. fierce feminisms? Yeah. So I want, this is what I want the, uh, and horsepower. And horsepower, <laughs> yes. Always horsepower, yes. So one of the reasons that you're so much at the forefront of my awareness and many others' uh, awareness these days is because you've just had this wonderful solo show at Auto Italia in London. Yeah. Um, which I could not attend, but which looked to be absolutely amazing. And congratulations. I thought maybe maybe you can say the title since it's in the first person. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I also want to say that it was uh, it was definitely a group effort. And it's the most care and attention which has ever been lavished on my work um, mm. in, in the way that it was in a public, uh, like an exhibition presentation. Um, it was Ed Gilman and Deborah Joyce Holman and Poppy Maroney as well, but especially Deborah and Ed made a lot of very careful and, and precise curatorial decisions, which I went along with because I try to make mm. no hierarchy in my work as far as what is important and what is not important, what is more aesthetic, what is less aesthetic. So um, the title of the exhibition was I Am Not American. And then in parentheses, I love Adrian. I miss Carolee. I follow Hannah. Um, that's mm. the whole title. And the three artists that are uh, referenced in that title are Adrian Piper, uh, Carolee Schneeman, and Hannah Wilke. Um, those yeah. are like my three, uh, it's like a triangle of influences. Your guiding lights. My guiding lights. Yeah. And um, that exhibition actually was the concluding chapter of a process that began in 2019. Mm commissioned by the arts organization if i can't dance i don't want to be part of your revolution yeah based here in amsterdam a fantastic amazing organization and um the project was a process of archiving 25 plus years of your art life practice yeah and ultimately titled gift science archive yeah and you just mentioned that it was not you alone it was a collective effort you yeah. call it a durational performance right with your main archiving partners being the curator and exhibition maker Radna Rumping artistic researcher and poet Amalia Calderon and curator Megan Hutger um with support from the Rijksakademie van Beeldende Kunst from right. a host of other kind of lesser collaborators um a few frenemies, apparently. And, yeah, uh, well, they were not collaborating, <laughs> but they're in the they're in the archive. Database. And yeah, 
And yeah. I have to mention, of course, the loving presence of your husband, Robin Basink Murray, yeah. and your cat, Dumont. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's my domestic <laughs> life, and everything comes from domesticity. It's all down to yeah. domesticity, how yeah. we exist yeah. on a Beautiful. face level uh, somehow. Mm. Yeah. So I think it I think it would be good to begin uh, our conversation. I mean, we've begun, but to talk about Gift Science Archive, which in a very broad sense was also a process of thinking and practicing the archive differently. Mm. Right? Yeah. And um Megan Hooker of If I Can't Dance said, we're not producing museum didactic panels. No. <laughs> and and then you said. Our archiving is sharing. It's like opening up a heart. Yeah. I, the funny thing is that I, I did say that, but there are a lot <laughs> of things that I say that I don't even remember saying. My memory is not that good. I think my memory has always been um, not sketchy, but just I, I like to live in the moment. So I don't think so mm. much about what went before. I have a nickname mm. for myself, which is the Dits. The Dits. Yeah, D-I-T-Z, like the Yeah, 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 the um, yeah. What I find interesting about that word is um, I want to use it in an intelligent sense, like almost a kind of, I always think of Aaron Brockovich or something like this, like a kind of, <laughs> then applying it to a male body like I because mm -hmm. I think I, I I feel like a kind of ditzy person but then there's a core um, uh, uh, precision in that ditziness mm. somehow so I just wanted I want to problematize that word somehow but Radna who worked with us came up with yeah, the word instead Radna of Rumping. Radna Rumping yeah instead of um, discourse she's come up with discourse uh, discourse so, so we had the running through the whole horsepower operations so we had the discourse and in fact like thinking about artificial intelligences um and these technologies, it's also this kind of, yeah, expanding the uh, expanding the lexicon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wanted to say, just on, on note of the Gift Science Archive, do you know why it's called Gift Science Archive? Um, I don't yeah, I do. But why don't you why okay. don't you explain that? Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, I thought maybe it would be interesting for the podcast because it has to do with equality, actually. Um, mm. Carly Schneeman in 1965 made a work like a box construction. There are three kind of enclosures like box shapes in an elongated rectangular form. It's mm. quite big as well. And inside this wooden structure are all gifts that she received from artists coming back from Europe because Carolee was based in New York City and upstate yeah. New York in New Paltz. Mm, New Paltz, um, yeah. And uh, these artists that would bring back gifts for her from, uh, from Europe, but they were normally male um, she told me, and I've read, um, and they would bring her back really special, like w works of theirs, actually, or, or mm. objects that had some significance. And she collected them because she wanted to remember that being treated equally by male artists and, and male people in general was possible that equality was yeah. possible and, and being yeah. treated equally as a, as a maker or a doer mm. or whatever, as a, as a creative person. Uh, so um, I, I love the word science in the title um, because it implies something almost objective. And uh, of course, what I do and what anybody does is, is in the end, 
subjective, I think, uh, in one way or another. And I want to refer to this almost uh, the tension that exists between the objectivity of science and the subjectivity of, of life itself. Um, I want to back up just for the listener and talk about how Gift Science Archive is it's a collection of many things yeah. and an incomplete collection, of course. Yeah. And it includes, and you often say that your work is not so much made up of physical things as it is of thoughts, feelings, behaviors, emotions, relationships. One addition to that list that you just read of thoughts, feelings, emotions, behavior, and relationships, mm. also the sharing of information. I consider yes. like almost a brushstroke or a mark on paper or whatever surface, mm. um, because I think that in the cultural field and in general, um, sometimes I have a feeling that people are sometimes a little bit too secretive with information, um, whatever that information may be. And I've gone mm. a little bit over the top or maybe a lot over the top with sort of um, <laughs> giving credit to people who came before me and also um, sharing mm. information whenever I can about whatever, whatever I might know that someone could use. And part of that, that sharing, um, well, so much of it, I mean, that I wanted to talk about the fact that Gift Science Archive is a distinctly feminist project. It's a it's described by you and your collaborators as a fierce feminist demand to center the messiness in knowledge transmission and history making. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you, I, I, I would love to hear from you or hear you talk about your commitment as a feminist or a pro-feminist, pro maybe explain yeah. the distinction for yourself. Yes. Um, and what does that mean to you? Why is it important for you to practice art in this way, especially as a white Western male? And what could we learn from it? And what what could we and, and many other fields learn from being pro-feminist and making such fierce feminist demands? Well, um, Gloria Steinem has a wonderful quote that says, if you're not a feminist, you're living with one eye open. Um, and, mm. and I think this says exactly what I think about it. I mean, if you if you believe in vision, if you believe in full vision, uh, double vision, I have very bad eyes, ne negative nine, negative 10, whatever. But like the idea of the full picture and, and change mm -hmm. in the world. Um, I think this is such a beautiful statement and I, I really believe it to be true. So I got the word pro-feminist from John Stoltenberg, from Andrew Dworkin's uh, surviving partner. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. He always uses it to give kind of a deference to the fact that he doesn't exist in a biologically female body. Um, and, and I also feel that this is important I will never know. I mean, this this is a big gray area for people, I think, in, in my estimation anyway, because there are people like Jermaine Greer who say that you cannot be a woman if you haven't had a girl's childhood. Now, when I was three years old, I went to my parents and I said, I don't want to be um, a boy. I want to be a girl. 
partly because of what I saw in the media. Like I saw um, images of women in the 70s, like this would have been the mid to the late 70s, lying in bubble baths, um, getting yeah. to put on pretty dresses, <laughs> um, painting our nails, perfume. Yeah. Um, and I didn't want to go get my, and not, not to say, this is just my three-year-old understanding of how things in the world yeah, work. Sure, um, I sure. said, I don't want to get my hands dirty. I don't want to, um, I don't want to, play um rough games or whatever i want to i want to um think and i want to sit and i want to um adorn myself and i want to dream and i want to, and this is what i saw being projected as a kind of gender divide i think that when children are very young from what i understand when they're born and growing up um yeah. there there is not such a distinction between what is for boys or what is for girls i mean especially at maybe the age of 3 it, yeah. it, it's a it's a it's a broad palette that you have things that yeah. you can pull from um mm-hmm. and i i often it it frustrates me a little bit because i i, I feel like a lot of what I've had to do since the age of 40, I'm nearly 48 now, is making up for lost time. So like mm-hmm. um, being able to wear a dress now if I want, being able to wear a wig now if I want. Sometimes people ask me, when you wear a dress, would this be drag then? For myself, what I feel when I put on a dress or a wig is a, not only a sense of empowerment, but like an extension of my personality um, that that I that I may need to emphasize for myself. It's like it's a, it's a form of dressing up, I guess, and it makes me feel. It just makes me feel good, and sometimes I don't want to analyze yeah. that too much. I've always been very woman identified, or yeah, a very woman identified yeah. in my in my intellectual life. And my mother's grandmother, uh, so my great grandmother, her name was Norma Isaac. She was a painter uh, in New York City, um, and she didn't start painting till she was forty five, till she was about my age. Um, she was an abstract expressionist painter. Very beautiful paintings, I think. Very, very, very special. Um, but she had no professional ambitions or with that. So I, mm. I learned from her. She was my big role model. So I learned very quickly as a very young person that the 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 most impressive artist in my life was her. And so I yeah. I, I think Beautiful. this stayed with me in a kind of um, yeah. developmental yeah. way. Something that clearly is very important to you is the naming of lineages of thought, of practice, of knowledge, Um, the teachers, the sources of inspiration, those who came before to whom one feels indebted. One of the key words uh, of the archive is intergenerational. And um, in your own life as an artist, you call them guiding lights. Mm -hmm. And the title of the Auto Italia show names three of them, as you mentioned, Carol yeah, Schneider, Wilkie, and Adrian Piper. Yeah. And you've also known to pay homage to Anna Mendieta, Lorraine O'Grady, um, uh, Ava Hesse, um, Andrea Dork. Yeah. And you are really committed to these women. I find that wonderful. And you have talked about um, whether you remember this or not, <laughs> you've talked about following as leadership. Right. 
That's very important. Oh, I definitely remember yeah. that because that's yeah. the thing that I always say to young artists. Um, and yeah, you just named like like relationships that have been very important to me. Howardina Pindell and I are quite close. Uh, Lorraine mm. O'Grady and I are fairly close. And Sengen and Goody as well. Um, and Carolee and I were of close. I mean, there, there's no parallel relationship to that because she was my teacher when I yeah. was 19. Yeah. It really changed yeah. my life uh, and, and gave yeah. me... Um, um, endless sources of inspiration in many ways mm. but I think it's it, the following rather than leading when I when I do teach or do tutorials with students or young artists or whatever they want to call themselves there's always a push to kind of act like you're the first and it doesn't seem to have changed that much frustratingly um almost to, to act like you're the first uh, person on the planet that nobody came before you. I mean, I um, 20 years ago when I would work and when I would talk about, especially feminist artists, I remember people telling me that that era, that 10 years between, especially 1970 to 1980 was uh, passe, that it was over, that we shouldn't talk about it anymore. I used to say to people, why are you still talking about Michelangelo and Duchamp then? Uh, you know, the, I mean, exactly. Exactly. I mean, and, and the seventies is passe. This is the constant thing that people try to do with, uh, with feminism and feminist artists kind of um, mm. wash it or something or, or get it out of circulation again. But now it's gaining traction. Yeah. When I met Carol Lee in 1994, there were very little people um, interested in her work at the time. She was really struggling financially as well. Mm. Um, but mm. she kept going. And um, at the end of her life, the last two years, when things really kind of took off and she won the Golden Lion in Venice, which she didn't like the experience of in many ways, um, she found it rather overwhelming. Um, mm. And I, I've i learned a lot from um, watching and, and, and observing how... Um, dissemination of work goes and how reception of work goes. So I find it very important in my position to encourage people to feel like it, it's okay to, to follow, to, you know, you don't have to yeah. follow blindly, but just to, to absorb information. There's so much that people have done before us. I mean, especially mm -hmm. my, my passion in my area, as you've mentioned, is the years maybe between 1965 and 1985 or something to stretch it a bit. Um, just what happened in this period alone in what is called feminist art in a general sense, intersectional feminist art, I mean, we could go the next 500 years on this. I, this is such yeah. sustenance. And I find it encouraging that people are more interested in this period yeah. now. But for many years, it wasn't that way. Yeah, but I do think one of the reasons more people are interested is because people like yourself are persistent and insistent on naming them, yeah. on, you know, on centering the stories and the examples of these women or women feminist artists, um, also, you know, non, maybe not in your case or in your case, but non-white, non-Western, non-normative people and cultures, yeah. Yeah. you know, and it's important to do that. And you did that in your archiving process or in the process of, of the, the durational performance of gift science archive, right. um, 
one of the questions that Amalia Calderon asks in one of those reflection pieces, those kind of poetic pieces she wrote is, where do women's voices go after they speak and who can carry them? So, so the importance <laughs> of creating an archive like this, embedding within its very structure, the process of its creation. So it's not presented as this like beautiful white cube, but you get all the, you you can actually trace back through, through all these conversations that were had with you and the others, the lineages of which it was born, which we were just talking about. Um, I think even centering the subjectivities of the other archivists, these other women that you collaborated with on it, yeah, yeah. Um, who are people you have developed deep mutual respect and friendship for, and really including their voices equally with yours, even yeah. in a an archive that, of course, centers around your practice, still centering their voices. And I say this because there's an idea that an archive is objective, and in the same way that technology is perceived or projected as being neutral, or even what you said before, that science is objective. Science is, I had a scientist once who said to me, everything in science begins with a question. Yeah. And the question is always subjective. Right. So who is asking the question about what, from what subjectivity, from right. within what kind of body, from what kind of heritage or lineage? So, mm -hmm. Yeah, so I just think that it's beautiful that you do that with your archive. I don't know if you know how this started. Um, the the main impetus for the whole project of archiving came from Adrian Piper because when I visited her, she has a I'm sure you know, but she has a beautiful archive in Berlin. But I mean, this thing is every <laughs> single little piece of paper has a a, a, a note and a, a sort of number in the archive and is cross-referenced and you know adrian is a very deliberate artist she makes um i can bang out um five horse paintings in 10 minutes or whatever whereas adrian might take three months to make a drawing uh, which i kind of envy in a way this kind of slowness or, or deliberation over over making work yeah. but adrian said to me um um, when I showed her pictures of my studio, she said it was completely, and this is a quote, she, it was completely freaking her out. She used this, this <laughs> phrase and she said, I'm going to give you step-by-step -step tips on how to archive. This was something that Carolee Schneeman was always a bit frustrated about is that people thought that because her work was painterly and uh, and messy in, in its way, um, that she had no structure in her work. So we, we had conversations about this and I realized that structure, there is always structure in everything. It is practice. It's really impossible to have a situation yeah. where there is no structure. So what we did is we took Adrian's um, archiving tips, we printed them out very big, stuck them on the wall in the Rikes Academy where we were archiving and Amalia and I would go there once or twice a week uh, for about three hours over the period of these 18 months. And we would just sit and we developed a, um, we, we jumped in around the year 2000 when I was 26. And there were about 400 or 500 drawings, which are about 50 by 70 centimeters, which we call philosophical sketches. And those are broken down into different typologies as well. And we just mm -hmm. started with those and we really never got beyond them. I mean, this, this archive is the tip 
of an iceberg. Uh, there are nearly 2,400 yeah. things in it. Also digital things, which only exist on my hard drive images. And so, um, but we, if, if I was to do everything, I, I would never finish. And I'm constantly generating new work as well. I never thought I would have help for my work. I lived for uh, yeah. about 20 years in like a bit under a rock in a way. I had some attention, mm -hmm. but it was very minimal um, compared to what I think that I deserve and what the energy that I put into my work and what I think should come out of that. And so um, it was a learning process uh, with, with this gift science archive. Yeah. But also I think what you're describing has to do with gifting um, that is just central in your practice, in your mm -hmm. Art life practice. Yeah. And Gift Science Archive, I mean, is like the like the work Gift Science by Carolee Schneeman uh, from 1965 that was named after. It is an it is definitely a record of things that were gifted by other artists. Yeah. When you name those artists and their legacies, their gifts to you are palpable. Mm. And you do talk about it also in feminist or pro-feminist terms, you know, that as a feminist or pro-feminist, you don't do it because, um, uh, you know, to get thanks, you know, you do it because no. you need to do it. You and you, and the world will be a better place because of it. And I think that's um, really important. And I think also it's important that you do it even if you don't know who it's for. Right. You know, you said something about letting your vulnerability reach those who it needs to reach. Mm. You're doing it trusting that it will have the impact that it that it will have. And when you begin to enter into those insidious monetary capitalistic structures of the art world, it gets some. Um, yeah, it Money. gets a little murky. It gets a little yeah. funky. Yeah. Yeah, 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 it does. Elka Christopher, who I used to work with, she said something which I really liked, very beautiful. She's a painter, and a, I would say a painter mm -hmm. and a body artist, like Tracy Emin as well. I don't know if they would use these words, but painter in any case. Um, mm -hmm. Elka said that painting for her was making space in the world for herself. And I would extend that to say that whenever anyone does anything like what I'm involved with, for instance, uh, it's creating space for yourself, but it's also creating space for like-minded people or people who would feel um, somehow identified with, with what you're doing. Um, it's, a, mm. it's, a, it's not a physical space all the time, but it's a, it's a psychic space. It's a mental space. It's a, um, it, it's a, it's a possibility of further like existence, uh, kind of opening up mm. of, of what things could be. I explained when I first reached out to you that I had this desire to link these new conversations I was having on the podcast with this new book that I put out last year with Valise called Slow Spatial Reader, Chronicles of Radical Affection. Mm -hmm. And there's a section of the book called Giving With Looking Toward, which is the title is arising from the English translation of the philosopher Edouard Glissant's idea of um, generosity that he in French is donner avec. And yeah. um, I wrote 
I invited you in this context because I think that glissance donné avec, this generosity, um, is, is really present in your work. And I'm going to read, I'm going to quote myself from the book. It, it was a dynamic form of gifting that operates beyond the confines of capitalist logic, resisting enclosure or appropriation of any kind, an aesthetics of rupture and connection that in bringing forth an expanded repertoire of relation identities opens on totality. So yeah. that's my kind of summary of Glissant, but you know, that to me really resonated with your work and what I was learning about your work and what, what uh, Megan Hooker called temporal loops and spirals um, evoked that also for me. And I think the real key to that or big part of that is the messiness of your work. Yeah. And I use that term because it's self-proclaimed by you and yeah. it's thus described by many others. So I'm not <laughs> putting words in your mouth. Do you know where that comes from? There's a reason that I do name this messiness. And it's partly um, because I feel, I felt growing up in the United States that gay men are expected to be neat and tidy and kind of um when i grew up anyway i got this message mm. and i got the message mm. also that i was supposed to be um quiet about my sexuality like my physical sexuality mm. and what i decided mm. to do is do what carolee schneeman taught me and go to where the resistance is and do the exact opposite so yeah. being messy is a political position also. Mm. I felt like this was essential. I'm an, I'm an inherently mm. messy person anyway, so it wasn't that hard to uh, make the, <laughs> the political move in that way. But um, uh, I, I do think that it's um, a statement. I felt also growing up, I was told repeatedly, not by my uh, direct family, but even by extended family of mine and uh, the environment that I lived in, um, that I was not smart enough, that I was mm -hmm. not intellectual enough, that I would never amount to anything in, in my thinking of things, and also that my physicality was flawed. I, I received mm -hmm. a message over and over, and this is something very important that makes me feel close to I feel like how maybe women are seen and treated in the, in our society, in our world, um, the yeah. pressure that is put on physicality and appearance and surface mm. in a way. So um, mm. this messiness, I want to make an issue of things that people problematize mm. in me. And I also, the last thing is that I also like to, uh, as you said, um, be generous even though I don't know what will come back from it. No thanks. Yes. You don't do it for thanks. You don't do it for the, you do it because you have yes. to. Um, it's like any yes. artist working, you do it because you have to. But in my case, it has that generous aspect of, I suppose, a generous mm. aspect of giving without knowing what you're going to get back. But what I wanted to say about messiness is also just to remind or share with the listeners that when you were a student or a young artist, let's say, Carolee Schneeman described and celebrated your presence and your work as, and I quote, spilling and seeping and enveloping and overcoming space. Yeah. And she said, everyone was trying to get him back in the quadrant. And I thought it was just perfect. Yeah, she did. That's yeah. what she said. Yeah. yeah. Carolee taught uh, 
a, she was a guest teacher at Pratt Institute. She came in because a friend of mm -hmm. hers got sick who had a sculpture class. And so I managed to get into this course, which was actually a year above where I was supposed to be, but I knew I wanted to be mm -hmm. in her class. I just felt I had to be. And there was a male heterosexual white dude, some teacher there, sculptor, big, big macho guy, that when Carolee came in, he said, you got to watch for Sands because he's unteachable. He used this word mm. and Carolee didn't say it to him, but she told me later that that meant that, that I was her favorite in a way. She didn't want to play favorite but, <laughs> because that's exactly like what that. she'd been told. Yeah. She'd been told her whole like life that. that she was yeah. unteachable. These double messages, yes, you can, don't you dare. Megan Hooker calls it the construction and reconstruction of self in the world that can only be met with the relational force of living. Mm, yeah. I loved that. Um, and it's, and it's actually, I think it, maybe you could talk about it in terms of acceptance art. Yeah. Survival acceptance art, because that's what I call survival my, acceptance art. Yeah, survival acceptance yeah. art is what I call all my work. I like to think of uh, ways of describing what I do because naming is very important. Survival acceptance art is that whatever is difficult in your life, I, I have learned to lean into, and I got that from Carolee about this resistance, going to where the resistance mm. is, you lean into the difficulty. So if somebody says, mm. for instance, in my case, you're not good looking, then I make my face and my body the center of my work. <laughs> you just, you, yeah. know, you put a spotlight on what people are telling great. you not to do. Yeah, um, great. So this is, this is survival acceptance mm. art because when you, when you uh, embrace the things that are painful, they don't hurt as much in my experience. Mm. Uh, so that, that's mm. exactly how I. Well, uh, and you're operate. setting that example for other young artists and that's, and young and people, people who will come yeah. and people of now who will people who will come in the future. Yeah. yeah. I, I love that there's a key word on of the gift science archive that is belonging. Yeah. And Amalia Calderon wrote one of her beautiful reflection poems, and I'm going to just read a little bit of it. Um, okay. She says, belonging Amalia Calderon. Re-belong, de-belong, pluribelong, proto-belong to the soil you are made of and the big blue skies above. Mutability is what makes it stable. Belonging is cathartic in its constant rebirthing. Belonging is vulnerability in the shape of acceptance, unintentional affiliations, magic. Belonging is always becoming. Yeah, that's my very abridged. I took a few lines. It's longer, but it's all on the on gift gift science archives. So beautiful, so um, good. very so, beautiful. Yeah. yeah, we were really. Yeah. It was like magic that the four of us came together. Mm. And I wanted to say one little thing about that is that we also um, there were questions along the way whether or not I would censor anything. Yeah. There were questions if I wanted to edit or review. I said, uh-uh, no, yeah. no, no, no. This is your voice. Yeah. You're involved with this. So you have, and we tried to get it as horizontal as possible. Uh, you know, it yeah. was my work as the impetus, but um, no censorship, no censorship. But that horizontality, which you talk about, or, you know, that's talked about by you and uh, and your collaborators, your main collaborators, Megan and Radna and 
and uh, Amalia. Yeah. It's it's very yeah as as we were talking about before that centering of of voices and the acknowledgement of voices and not you know um, and like when when we talk about your um, life art art life practice I don't know which it is but they, there's no you don't necessarily distinguish between the two um, no. and not just because of your of how interest how important the domestic is for you. Um, and not just because your husband um, is so Robin is so present also in even even in performing or in in assisting and um, participating in some of the works right um, but because you actively are I think you called it crossing lines and not yeah not boxing things in that's so beautiful. I've never done anything like this before on the podcast, and it seems maybe counterintuitive when I'm someone who's talking about slowness and slow research. But yeah. I was thinking maybe we could do like a kind of like a speed round. Yeah. <laughs> I was looking at your Instagram, and there were some kind of golden nuggets that like popped out, and in <laughs> particular, like some hashtags. I thought maybe I can just like list name some read some hashtags and get your reaction okay yeah great, great. <laughs> hashtags are fun yeah yeah i think it's your work just inspired me to go for this speed round okay let's the first hashtag from sans marie Lawson's um instagram force field Okay, now that comes from Carolee Schneeman also, because she said that um, she was always a painter. She saw herself as a painter and she was a painter right up until the end, no matter what she was doing. She said, you could be holding brushes, but you can also see your body in a sense as, as a force field. Uh, in, in dynamic relation to the social body, and that in itself is a is a painterly uh, gesture, can be mm. painterly gesture. So that mm. force field always comes back to Carolee Schneeman in painting. Um, Beautiful. Yeah. Wow. You don't you don't have to speak fast if you don't want to. Okay. <laughs> I like hashtag courage. Yeah, hashtag courage. Um, you need it. You know, you, you, I have a, um, I have a huge painting. One of the biggest paintings I ever made was probably two meters by three meters or something. And it says in, in large letters across it. And that's all the painting is. It says confidence sans gay. I think it's from 2006, something like that. Uh, 2005, yeah. maybe even, uh, maybe even a little before that. And I, I think that courage is something that people are afraid to admit that they don't have all the time. Mm. Like that you're, you you need courage in, in certain situations. It, it can be very unexpected. All of a sudden you need courage. Mm. And uh, I feel like Tracy Emin once told me um, in a letter, don't be afraid only when it excites you to be. And I've been thinking about that recently. And I thought, actually, I would never say that to someone because I think that fear, and that goes along with courage because they're kind of corollaries in a way. Um, fear is something that in my 
feelings should be acknowledged and 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 looked at like okay i'm afraid i'm i'm afraid and i'm not going to deny it um mm. it it may be conditioning that we deny it or whatever um i just am a big believer in constantly um nurturing courage because i think that people need it at all points in life uh, not only when they're young and studying or whatever but as they get older there, there is no end to it our work that we do as artists or as creative people are actually linda montano uses the word lifeist so that's everybody mm. actually and and that's a combination of artists and and yeah. uh, and, and you know living. the life are divine yeah. just living yeah. um yeah. which is what we're all doing um I, I think what we're doing is not only for us ever actually it always it always has an effect it's like that lovely story where the butterfly flaps its wings on one side yeah, of the world right, right. and then on the other side yeah. of the world you know something changes or happens or whatever if you think of things that way that mm. gives me courage in itself it's just yeah. not for nothing Okay, from butterflies flapping their wings to horses. What about hashtag horsepower? Yeah, hashtag horsepower. So this goes back to the beginning because what what I was taught when I was growing up, this gender divide, I was taught that horses mm. and unicorns were symbols for little girls and not mm. for little boys. I may have ridden a horse once, but I have no desire. People always ask me, do you want to ride horses? No, yeah. I don't want to domesticate <laughs> the horse. I like them wild. And if I see them yeah. in the wild when we're driving or whatever, I get excited yeah. like a five-year-old kid yeah. or whatever. Um, yeah. I think the horse is a magic symbol. It was very very intuitive that I decided I didn't have the courage to paint something so simple and cartoon-like as a horse till after the age of 40. But when I when I feel down or when I need a little pick-me-up or something, I just paint whatever phrase comes first in my mind and the figure of the horse, and I immediately feel better. So the, the horses mm. and horsepower, it's connected to a therapeutic use of art. Like literally mm. using art as a kind of tool, like as a, as a therapeutic tool. Carolee yeah. used to say that her work was all about joy and rage and everything in between. And she said that she thought my work was as well. And it is that way. I, I'm furious at the world and I'm also happy with it and everything that comes in between. So the horses yeah. are really the joyous side of things. I actually just had one more. And I think it's related to that. It's hashtag emancipation oh that's a good one yeah someone asked me um yeah emancipation that's so far reaching i think emancipation is a process which comes for me from inside it's something that each of us has to do for ourselves somehow in every situation but it's also a constant um I was just thinking recently that I think that my favorite artists always speak about art in materialistic terms, in the sense that they talk about domesticity, what it takes to be an artist, you know, body care, um, all the all the things that people consider banal um, in a way. Um, and emancipation for me is one of these things which connects to a kind of material feminism. In, in a way that I really get a lot out of looking at daily life and domesticity and seeing how elements of domesticity can be thought about in an emancipatory way. My constant goal is to affect um, uh, a kind of change, a kind of positive change in the world. 
uh, which I think mm -hmm. a lot of us are working with and striving for. And, and I think it's a, it's a group effort. But I, mm -hmm. in my way, when I hear emancipation, it's almost existent. It is existential, actually, because it's, yeah. it's, about, um, it's about freedom. It connects to freedom yeah, and what, what is uh, what what is freedom and what is freedom what what freedom could be. Um, so it's something that I, I will not be finished with that topic until I'm dead. That's going to be yeah. one that I'm keep I keep working at and thinking about and reading and um, that goes back to the Gloria Steinem quote from the beginning: "If you're not a feminist, you're living with one eye open." Uh, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Emancipation. It's 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 everything. Well, for me, as I said. Gift Science Archive is an emancipatory tool, somehow, so. an emancipatory model. Um, and I think already you have a form there in that archive that you, including, as I said, as, and as you said, including the collaborative process, the deeply collaborative process of its, of its making mm -hmm. and the inclusion of so many other voices and so many other artists who have so influenced you. Yeah. So I would say even within Gift Science Archive, you already have a kind of a treasure chest of emancipatory tools and a lexicon that hints at emancipation, at freedom. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. You know, it all came together quite magically and um, we were very lucky with each other. And I really, I always say we did a, um, a talk about collaboration at, towards the middle of the project at the Reichsakak. They asked what it was that um, held us together for me, and I ended up coming to the word love. Um, everyone yeah. that I collaborate with or am influenced by, I mean, I was deeply in love with Carolee. Like, there are no words. Mm. It was, uh, it, I was head over heels. And the um, the artist that I used to collaborate with in Vienna, Elke Christofek, um, it was a difficult relationship, but I was also in love with her. I fell in love with Megan, with Radna, with Amalia. Uh, I, mm. I like to fall in love. I like to share it and, and just not be afraid of um, yeah. using that word, showing that word, this word, which means a thousand million different things to a thousand million. Different yeah. people. It's all about love. Well, and your work very clearly as a gesture of, of love and what I would call radical affection. I hope that the uh, AI engineers in Silicon Valley are listening to <laughs> take note. <laughs> this is what we need. Exactly, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Love. Hashtag love. Technological love. Yeah. Sans, it has been such a pleasure to be with you. It's just your presence is beautiful and so meaningful. Thank and you. the traces you leave in your wake are nothing less than luminous. I hope so. And it comes through a real yeah. understanding of pain as well. You know, I, mm. I, I must say that um, I've had a lot of pain in my life uh, and I could have become very, very bitter uh, with all the, yeah. the, the the resistance and the sidelining and mm. the, my youth uh, growing up. And so and I decided to take the opposite uh, route. I don't want to be blindly optimistic, but I really am mm. um, fiercely um, enthusiastic 
I, I want, I have a tendency to be enthusiastic and I never lose that. No matter how many times I've been slapped or pushed around or knocked down or whatever, yeah. I keep getting back up and saying, nope, I'm going to try again because there's lots of people in the world and it's people make the world go round for people. Mm-hmm. Hannah Wilker used to say that her bird, she had three leopards um, and her birds were in a cage with, you know how birds chew up newspapers and magazines and things. Hannah Wilker used to say, because she put art magazine clippings in their cages, she used to say, my bird wears art history on her ass. And I love this. And I also say sometimes that Duman doesn't care what I do in my studio. Art is made um, in principle. It has various functions, of course, but it's made by human beings for human consumption. And it has to do with humanity in a way. Yeah. I find it interesting to think about um, the activity of being an artist. I don't want to take it for granted. I have the idea Mm -hmm. that a lot of artists take it for granted that they're an artist and therefore they make art. And the the whole foundation of what it is to be an artist is not really in question right now. Enough for me. I want more people to be asking the question, what does it mean to be an artist on a daily basis? (laughs) What is it actually? Why? Why do it? This is something I think about all the time, like not as a justification, but just as a as a philosophical question. Carolee used to say she has to make images or she'd die, basically. And it is this mm, kind of yeah. um, necessity. It's the necessity to externalize mm. and to connect the interior with the exterior. Or, or mm. you know, just, just what is this boundary in general between the interior and the exterior? Um, yeah. It's just to get it to get it out feels like I always describe it as adding positive energy to the world. Um, I had a discussion with someone once who said, you can't do that because the energy in the world is only one thing. And so you either vibe with negative or positive energies. But I, I don't really agree in my estimation of the way things might work i like to think that you can add good energy to the world i do like the idea that you have that choice yeah i liked that in that conversation that you and robin had with ratna you know that's on gift science archive the meta archive yeah that robin talked about how whenever you hit rock bottom you get an opportunity something a project comes your way um it's like you're really you're caught up in the world and you're held lovingly and it's those moments that are really the test of the test of whether you actually believe that or not right and i think you do and it's proven by that and by the fact that you've had people like carolee and robin and so many others who have given you every reason to love yourself and to grow and yeah and to share. Art is, uh, art is also for me a kind of belief system. It's really mm. replaced, or if I don't know if it has to replace, but it, it maybe it complements a religious sense or a spiritual sense of things. Um, it's a it's I, I really see it as a kind of faith and belief system that I that I need to get through the world. Um, I mean, I've I've hit rock bottom multiple times, so it's it. You learn from that that you will always the the usually there's something on the other. Like Adrian once told me, try to see beyond the horizon, 
And I thought that was also quite beautiful. And I do that. You have you have faith that something is going to come. <laughs> you have yeah, and trust. Yeah, trust. very much. Yes, very important. Yes, that's yeah. mental trust in other people and trust in yourself. And that's mm-hmm. also an active process. Absolutely, and listening. Right. <laughs> Another thing that Amalia Calderon wrote on in about Gift Science Archive was. Our queered archive here listens to gayness, intersectionality, rioting, resistance, and practices of feeling, altogether shape-shifting through time and bodies in a continuum of collective biographies. That is, it's so beautiful. And, you know, to finally draw this back to artificial intelligence Let's imagine a realm of AI that facilitates and celebrates those things, right? Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's very <laughs> distinctly said and perfect. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so, so much, <laughs> Sans Marie Vasink, for your time, for being here with me, and such a pleasure to get to know you a little bit better. Yeah, um, wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, it's just very, uh, the best uh, in the best sense. Everything that you do with other people is transformative, and this has been transformative as well. I know a little bit more now, or maybe mm. a lot more than an hour ago. Yeah, yeah. So Good. great to meet you. Thank you again yeah. so much. This has been AI Murmurings a project of Slow Research Lab. The music you've been hearing is from The Resonance Canons, composed and performed by Christopher Tigner from his album, A Light Below, released in 2019 on Western Vinyl. To learn more, listen, and purchase Christopher Tigner's music, please go to wiresundertension.com. To receive updates on this podcast, Subscribe on your favorite podcasting app or follow our Instagram. It's AI underscore murmurings. I'd like to thank programming partners Anton van den Hengel, director of the Australian Institute for Machine Learning, and Tom Haidu, director of SIA Furler Institute, audio engineer Fabian Reichle, as well as the Dutch Creative Industries Fund for their generous financial support. I'm Carolyn Strauss, director of Slow Research Lab. Thank you.